0: What's your favorite thing about digital ads? The super fun way they pop up and completely obscure whatever you're trying to view? How they sometimes get in the way of a button or link you're trying to click? I resort to some weird game of web browser acrobatics trying to outmaneuver it, but I reluctantly fail. Ooh, how about uh, when most of them are completely irrelevant to you? Spend that money, Geico. Maybe if I see your ad 739 more times, I'll definitely, probably think about it. Despite being annoyed by intrusive online ads, I've never used an ad blocker. And to be honest, I probably should have. Ad blockers are making the world a better place. I want to tell you why. I'm Jay Zagami, and these are Digital Marketing Stories on the CPM Podcast. I'm a believer that economics solve most of the world's business problems. People vote with their dollars, or in this case, with their attention, which is the currency of the internet. Over the past few years, the adoption rate of ad blockers has skyrocketed. Over 40% of surveyed internet users admit to using one on their desktop computer, and around 22% on mobile devices. That equates to hundreds of millions of devices. I'll include sources in the show notes. So why is this a good thing? Digital advertising is the laziest form of marketing. While sometimes mental horsepower goes into creating great ads, most of the time advertisers interrupt our day with the most egregious, flashing, buzzing, obscuring pop-up ads. The lack of regulation allowed it to get so bad that hundreds of millions of people installed ad blocking software and plugins. In fact, ad blockers caused many ad supported digital publications to miss their 2017 revenue projections. And let me tell you, there's no quicker way to enact change in a broken system than to donkey punch it right in the wallet. Websites relying on ad revenue were left no choice but to stop being lazy advertisers and develop a better ad-supported user experience. And so we saw a rise in entertaining or informative sponsored content. Ad blockers can't block native content like product placement or sponsored articles. Some cheaters found a way to game the system by engineering clickbait. It ultimately backfired, eroding their trust, authority, and audience. Clickbait does one thing. It gets clicks. Once people realize they were tricked or deceived, the game is up. They're not making a purchase or converting in any meaningful way. They may never even come back to your website, so good work, genius. <laughs> this is what gave way to the rise of ad filters and paywall-supported content. I'm gonna dive into both topics, but I wanna start with the latter. The rise of clickbait and fake news has given trusted news a feeling of scarcity. While many name brand publications were losing money, The New York Times stock price rose 41% last year, with subscription revenue crossing a billion dollars and accounting for 60% of all their revenue. That, That makes me hopeful and reaffirms my faith in economics. I want to talk about ad filters, but first I need to back up and give you some history. In 2016, digital advertisers committed to finding a way to combat ad blocking software. An engineering arms race wasn't going to be effective. So Google, Microsoft, Facebook, The Washington Post, and some large brands joined forces to create and fund the Coalition for Better Ads. Became a regulator for digital advertising. The group created global standards for online advertising, defining what was acceptable. They scored digital ads based on criteria such as page load times, the number of tracking scripts used, and the ad creative. In 2017, they released the new scoring system. For you data nerds, I'll include a link to their research. These standards gave advertisers guidelines on what they could and couldn't do with ads. If you didn't comply, your ads would get filtered out. This year, Google's Chrome browser comes standard with this ad filter turned on as the default setting. No more flashing, buzzing, moving pop up ads. If a site has ads that don't follow the standards, they're notified via Google's Search Console. Once the ads are brought up to the standards, they can resubmit them for a review. Google announced that as of February 12th, this year, 42% of sites who were failing the Better ad standards have resolved their issues and are now passing. That's a staggering figure. in the first 12 months. If you're looking to promote a product, a service, or a brand, you'll get a far better return on investment with well-executed sponsored content. Most people are inherently lazy. I mean, let's be real. They won't take the time to find the right influencer or media partner. They just want to throw dollars at ads. That's what makes it such a great deal right now. And it won't always be this way. I could spend a million dollars on a single ad campaign or I could spend 10% of that and get dozens of micro influencers to create content around a product that millions of people will see. And it'll be in the style of that influencer, which we already know their audience likes. So it's self-optimizing. If you'd like to see some examples of great sponsor content, visit seedling.marketing. Go to the podcast section. That's where you'll find this episode. I wanna thank you for letting me be a part of your day. And I also wanna know what you think, or if there's a topic you'd like to see me cover. Message me on Twitter, at Jason Zagami. And have a great weekend.